There's a realness here. Uh, the song Shallow by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper uh, has a thinly veiled, but not so thinly veiled when you, when you read the lyrics, um, message of how cell phones are giving us a false reality. Uh, and I, here, here I thought it was a love song all along. Uh, and it's everywhere. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 319. Today is Sunday, the 17th of March, 2019, and today's guest is my great friend, Brian Solis. Brian's an eight-time author, futurist, celebrated keynote speaker, and principal analyst at Altimeter, a profit company. In this conversation with Brian, we discuss his latest book, LifeScale, which was officially launched at South by Southwest. LifeScale covers Brian's recent journey through tremendously difficult times and, and really what looks like a burnout and and how he clawed his way back to finding purpose and his North Star. We discuss his process, the challenges of finding purpose in this hyper-connected, crazy world, as Aslan calls it. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Mr. Solis, great to have you back on the show. You, I think this might be the third time, and you, in that case, would be the only third timer. <laughs> Is that a good thing, Minter? Yeah, yeah. We're not, you're not, not two-timing me, dude. It's just, you know, you're a third timer. It's a new good expression. So I wanted to get you on the show. We're going to be uh, hanging out together a lot in the next few days, but talking about your latest book, uh, which Life Scaling, which uh, is obviously a massive departure from everything you've done up to today, Brian. So tell us what you've just done. Maybe for those who don't know you, how you'd like to describe yourself. <laughs> uh, the way I like to describe myself is tall, handsome, <laughs> very suave. <laughs> the little snicker that I give indicates... <laughs> it indicates it's 100% accurate. Right, that's the that's benefit what... of audio. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Thank you. Uh, the, the So I'm a, a digital analyst uh and if I hate you know the term, sorry, futurist, and then also uh, the digital anthropologist, and I study disruptive technology and its impact on businesses, and I also study its impact on societies, markets, and cultures, behaviors, uh, and most of the time, the analyst and futurist part plays out in research reports, and the digital anthropology plays out in speaking around the world and also in books. Uh, so I've written eight books, the last being X, The Experience When Business Meets Design, and I think is the last time we actually spoke I in think Paris. that's right. You're right, right, right. Beautiful book. Uh, thank you. And somewhere along the way, uh, I was going to write this next book following up on X uh, and the whole idea of experience design focusing on innovation design. Uh, and it was going to be called Why? <laughs> so, so those conversations, Minter, actually happened. And for those who are listening, the reason why is because the book before that was called What's the Future of Business? And so there was going to be a little play with W, X, Y, and ultimately Z. Uh, that, as you can see, did not play out. Uh, yeah. And 
well, not yet. Yes, exactly. Although L kind of comes in there, and we'll have to figure out how to explain that one away. Right. But uh, <laughs> the long story short of it, Ben Tiernan, uh, I'll let you take back control. Was the uh, I, I didn't I didn't finish the innovation book. In fact, I, I couldn't get past the summary uh, proposal stage, hmm. uh, and. So I just something was wrong, and I sort of chalked it up to writer's block, or uh, you just you know maybe being overwhelmed and pressured with all of the other research deadlines. But whatever it was, it sent me on a journey to sort of discover what was at the heart of the matter, and that's what led to LifeScale. Well, I, I like so much what you do, Brian. There's a, a timeliness. It's an out-of-left-field or at least a different perspective on things. And, of course, you also wrote and the, the, the layout of the book is, is, is novel as well. It's certainly not your dry business book. I, I recently was with a friend called Julian Hay, and he runs an agency, and he's like full-on. But he also made this major revelation to everybody that he had burnout and and that and it made him revisit everything he's doing and now he's got a lot more purpose in what he's doing and uh, it's a very soulful place to be your book obviously feels like a very soulful thing and there's a a whole element of you know coming out if you will with it as opposed to hiding behind the 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 perfection of the image that we tend to give out yeah, you've used some really powerful words there, soulful, purpose. Uh, I think that's that's where I got to ultimately. I'll tell you, that's not, that's not where I began. Uh, and <laughs> I do, uh, what Mentor was alluding to is I do like to take over the design experience of, of all of the books, going back to what's the future business. Uh, and the same is true for LifeScale because I, I feel like there's this deeper emotional connection between the writer and the reader that is not just communicated through prose but also through the the design elements which are incredibly intentional and of course i'm sure anybody that i work with is losing or their mind or their hair uh in the process because they 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 go into it from a design and 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 layout perspective but really what you're what you're seeing and what you're reading is this gushing of emotion of what started as a sense of panic and disarray and disorientation and even questioning uh, everything about who I thought I was uh, and where I was going, then as you turn every page, you sort of realize, ah, here's someone who's who's taking me by the hand and we're going on a journey together. And this journey, which is really interesting, is going to take you into a place where you might not even know you're struggling. I didn't know I was struggling, Minter, until I failed. And I could only imagine then what is what is happening today to where we're just operating in life and thinking that we're living our quote-unquote best life when we are, in fact, incredibly distracted. We are pulled in way too many distractions directions. We're busier than we need to be. We're multitasking, thinking we're doing great things and, and creating a great output. When in fact, all of those things that's happening behind the scenes is we're wiring our brains to speed up, to look in multiple directions without depth. We're, <clears throat> we're losing our empathy, which I know is a big, big, big deal to you. Uh, we're also uh, sacrificing our creative output. Uh, and we're, without really realizing it, 
becoming mediocre with the facade of being incredibly great because everything you do pretty much earns praise uh, on your favorite social networks, your favorite platforms, uh, and that gives you the false assumption of being greater than we actually are. Yeah, people look up to you and, and aspire to be you, and, and the image that they read of you makes them feel very sort of inspired by you. At some level, though, how do you get inspired, and who's your role model? It's a. I'm not going to try to do, <laughs> put a pretty bow on this one. Uh, this was a really lonely and depressing uh, experience. Mm. So I feel like I have to be transparent and honest because that's the only. This is my eighth book, Minter, and mm. it's my first, my first ever personal book, mm. and. What I had found, and the reason, and I kind of want to connect the dots between what I, what I said uh, just a minute ago, because I don't want people to feel like, what do you mean I'm mediocre? That's a horrible thing to say about me. Uh, it just means that, it just means that we get sucked up into this this life, this digital life, where we post and we create and we collect validation and and we release we release this emotions as a result of and these chemicals in our body that get, make us feel great and we want it more and we get caught on this path in this intoxication of of this this false engagement of which becomes this really shallow uh platform we stand upon and the more followers and the more engagement we have the taller we think we become and really what it's doing is distracting us mm-hmm. from us being us and that's what i had found was that i had become distracted that i was keeping up with this digital lifestyle to the point where my big c creativity was completely just affected and i hadn't realized it so i spent i spent uh, about a year doing a ton of research around what was going on behind the scenes and and at the time thankfully there was also a gentleman uh, named Tristan Harris who had been a, a very pro- prolific uh, UX UI uh, an engineer uh, designer for Google Facebook he's a programmer uh, helped create a lot of the apps and services that we use today or that became the standards for what we use today uh, and he just sort of became a whistleblower on what was happening with technology and how it was designed to become addictive, how it was designed to become persuasive. Uh, to, to geek out for a minute, he talked about intermittent variable rewards. So, for example, when you open Instagram or Twitter uh, and you notice there's a millisecond delay, when you see how many notifications you have, it's releasing these chemicals and creating this anxiety that is incredibly addictive. And then the relief comes when you see that number. It's like a slot machine uh, strategy. Uh, And it's almost because it gives you the sensation of you win. Uh, And that's just the beginning of it. But it's the same principles behind why there's polarization on on uh, on regarding politics online, why fake news is so believable online. Uh, And all of these things really started to inspire my research. What what does that do to you? What does that do to your attention span? What does that do to your creativity? What does that do to your focus, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, And also, how does that affect ultimately your happiness, your self-esteem, your self-confidence, your self-awareness, and all kinds of things that I was just blown away to see that I had completely mm. blew up in my personal life. I My relationships were shallower. My uh, uh, Everything was just not as deep and fantastic as I thought it was. Uh, and that's, before I could even write a book, I had to figure out where I was and what was wrong. And so the long, long way of sort of answering how do, you know, how do or why do people look up to me? I, I mean, I hope it's because 
I'm going to be really honest with them and not try to sugarcoat. Uh, here's a, here's a cheerleading book like, hey, some fantastic quotes. Let's motivate ourselves and let's keep going. It's, hey, I think we're on the wrong path, everybody. I, it completely almost ruined my life or at least clipped it to the point where I was not going to be able to deliver a book that was necessary to keep my career on track. And so I went out and did all of this work to figure out what to do about it. And that is where I got this, the most scared because there wasn't a lot of real research and a not not a lot of real solutions just a lot of placation like uh let's let's do yoga let's meditate let's 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 practice mindfulness let's get the calmer headspace app let's uh let's go to detox camp let's let's go to dinner and everybody puts their phone in a in a bowl in the middle of the table and so a lot of a lot of really interesting approaches but none of them were dealing with the problem they were dealing with the symptoms Hmm. so a lot of things in there that First, just to go back to your book style, Voltaire, I think, was said that uh, in French he says "la forme c'est le fond qui remonte à la surface," which means that the the style, the the the, the way you do it, is so now the way you present it is just what you're trying to say coming to the surface. And so, what you have is form and function getting married every time you write your book. So I wanted to pull that one out. And then the other comment I had was, you know, you, you go around, and today you and I, we, we interface with a lot of people, and there are just so many people, and I think it's, it's not just a, a, a small symptom, that have a large red banner around a little email app, which says something like 13,153 emails not read. And, and somehow we're, we're overwhelmed and and then we kind of jump to whatever it is like a crackhead the next hit and and we and in the 13,000 mails that we're not reading are important ones from loved ones from perhaps vip people customers uh random people in need and we just don't have time for it uh you know i there's a there's a savoir faire about uh, just even talking to you. For those who've never seen Minter in the real world, uh, a podcast does him a disservice. He's probably one of the most stylish and elegant uh, individuals I know. Uh, the the uh, yeah, I guess I mean I don't know if this is going to address what you just said, but there's there's a realness here. Uh, you know, I was just reading recently that the song Shallow by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper uh, has a thinly veiled but not so thinly veiled when you when you read the lyrics um, message of how cell phones are giving us a false reality uh, and I, here, here I thought it was a love song all along uh, and it's everywhere that we don't necessarily see it because we became, as I, I, I termed it a while back, accidental narcissists. Everything about this this technology is alluring, intoxicating. It's whimsical. It's it's it makes us important and beautiful in our own way. But when you strip down a lot of this stuff, I did research for a, a global beauty brand uh, based out of Paris <laughs> that. Uh, I, could, I, I I published a research report. It was for the global CEO that studied from a social science perspective the effects of instagram snapchat social media things like uh, the the facetune app the effects of those things on a woman's definition of self-beauty and self-esteem and i have to tell you i interviewed women from the age of six to 61 and it was heartbreaking for the for the, for a large part and in some in some 
there is a very beautiful glimmer of hope uh, and and confidence and assuredness and taking taking back control was was definitely part of the conversation but for the most part they didn't even think about it until we started to have these deep conversations uh, by and large and that was that was scary and by the time each of those conversations were done the you could see a glimmer of hope and that they were actually aware now of what was happening behind the scenes, that they just were so caught up, like most of us, so caught up with this digital life that no one takes time to think beyond the superficial, which is how many likes did it get? How many followers do I have? Uh, and what's my next projection? Uh, so if that, if that in one research report could uncover all of this. Imagine what would happen if we, as parents, spent more time looking at our children's relationship with technology instead of thrusting an iPad or an iPhone in their hands during dinner so that they could stay quiet. Uh, or thinking about uh, as us as employees in our transit instead of looking at our phone while we're on the train or in a passenger seat or on a plane. Uh, if we could take a moment to wonder what's happening to us or why we're doing that in those moments, you have a pretty powerful uh, door that opens that can connect you to a form of yourself that you didn't know was there. And that is what life scale is about. It's it's not a journey about putting your phone away. It's it's not even it's it, it's it's opening your eyes to what's happening behind the scenes and it gives you a choice to figure out what do you want to do about it. But the book is really about let me let me put it this way. We you and I are—we're just a little bit older uh, than those than those millennials uh, and the centennials behind them. Uh, so we know life uh, in an analog form. But I want you to think about this: even millennials and centennials—they are governed by a life, by beliefs, by standards, by values, by conventions that were largely formed in an analog world. And here we are now trying to operate with this center of reference, our personal center of reference that is pretty much outmoded or outdated. So the, the things like what does success mean? What is what is normal mean are now at odds uh, with one another. Uh, and so what that means is that and what I needed to do with LifeScale was kind of control alt delete and figure out what kind of manual would I need for life hmm. today. And it forces you to go through, in a wonderful way, I hope, kind of connecting with purpose and values and resetting things so that when you look at your device, when you think about social media, when you think about news and conversations online, and when you look at someone in the real world, you're now making an intentional decisions about what you're going to do because you're aware. And that's, that's where I think this journey gets us. So many of the people that are in the governing role, whether it's parents, politicians, or legislators, we weren't brought up with any of this. We're, we're, we're thrown into this new world, we're trying to write post-factum, very late rules, and, and the consequences have been dramatic in terms of the mental health issues we've got. One of the things that you wrote about was, or at least uh, I take a specific quote which I picked up from Ramsey Brown, the COO of Dopamine Tech. He said, the biggest tech companies are always trying to figure out how to juice people. And then there's the, what I heard purportedly, Sean Parker, Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, uh, Kirk Gates, they are all 
extremely anti-tech for their kids. And if these are the guys who are running these businesses, they must know something if that's what their conclusion is for their kids. And yet that's not been generalized. Is, was that something also that you were trying to bring in through your book? Yes, yes. That, that, I, that as a parent, I was just... I remember when I started doing early on research, this actually was my presentation at South by Southwest 2018, <laughs> was exposing exactly what you were talking about. Number one, the Silicon Valley's stance against technology use amongst their children, right? So in fact, this sounds horrible to say, but many executives at the Facebooks, Instagram, Snapchats of the world have nannies for their children, and their nannies are explicitly uh, contracted to not allow their children to use these technologies. Uh, and a lot of the nannies, there's a fantastic New York Times article about it, a lot of the nannies basically expose so their parents is creating these double standards because when they come home, they're, they are on their devices. They are always connected and always on, and so their kids see this, this, this standard of which is false. Uh, but it is because they are designed to not just juice people, but also be addictive, uh, and it's, and it's, and if you think about it, I call it the endless scroll. I mean, how many of us just get caught up in swiping the vortex, that, the vortex of that scroll, uh, for no no reason? Even when you're not creating, you're consuming, and it's just because it's by design. And the book exposes a lot of that at the beginning because it had to. We had to kind of understand this is what's happening to us, and it has these effects. There's a reason why I couldn't write my book because I was caught up in this vortex because it's been designed to do just that. So you, you wrote the book and I'm wondering, maybe if I expose myself where I wrote about empathy and on the one hand I, I came at it and the need for it because maybe I wasn't being sufficiently empathic with my with my immediate people around me and and then it, it and then having written it, it's like, well, oh, well, that's you're not being very empathic, are you? And so I, I I have to pull myself up to that standard. I'm wondering what the process of writing this has been for you, and to what extent you're able to now implement what you're doing, and and how it's affected you today. I was very honest in the development of the book. I think the first, somewhere somewhere at the beginning of the book, it says that. I I don't have the answers. This is a journey that we're going on together. But as I write these first pages, I do not know what the next page is going to say, uh, because I am going to be finding the answers that work and putting it together into a, a an intuitive, emotional, rewarding, productive journey together. And so that's the book became my therapy, my catharsis, my path forward, uh, because I was going through things that worked, things that didn't work, and then putting it, stitching everything together in, in a life scale journey that I, I have to tell, I had never felt so alive. I had never felt so in control. I'd never felt so creative and inspired. I, I, I miss writing the book. It was hmm. it, the the book was fifty thousand words in 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 final, but it was one hundred and five thousand words uh, in in total. It was and it was a magical journey. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> I I work with uh, with an editor that I a contract 
personally before it even goes to the publisher that I just adore. And lastly, the thing about it was I went back and decided that I need to keep going through this journey. Uh, and that's the beauty of it is that it, it it keeps you coming back to it so that the life scale brand is not about Brian Solis. The life scale brand is about the reader and their relationship with their journey. And as a result, I've been working with some really wonderful people to uh, Karen Friedberg and Andy Smith who are taking the 105,000 word version and have turned it into uh, coaching material so that we can get coaches to essentially scale, life scale for everyone else. And I don't roadblock it. We're essentially giving it to everyone else so that we can get this message and this journey in the hands of people so that we can start doing something about this this relationship with distraction. So I, I did a little, thanks to digital version, uh, search. And uh, just for your 50,000 version, pay word version, uh, you use the word empathic or empathetic, etc., around 11 times. The word sleep appears 13 times. And the word purpose, 109 times. And And the thing that, for the last few minutes we have together, I want to talk about is the difference, or the let's say the juxtaposition of the personal versus the professional divide and 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 where you have gone from seven business books to a, a plunging personal story the intended consequences is deeply personal but when we go into the professional sphere too many of us are worried about bringing our personal elements personality bosses don't want to hear about your little problem with, you know, your son who's got a toothache or whatever, because that's not pro. And I was just wondering what your take is. I mean, I also was going to mention the the Branson Winfrey uh, type of comments, and they're more entrepreneurial. But in a big corporation, the place of personal is very hard to bring in. I was just wondering what kind of orientation you would provide about allowing the personal into the professional in light of everything you've gone through it, there's a there's a saying uh, that I have that it's not just disruption you have to worry about it's mediocrity and that I don't believe any one of us woke up today to be mediocre uh, in the professional setting or even in the personal setting there are standards of which still govern the world success uh, is defined by performance and performance can be defined by revenue or however you want to look at it but in there is how well you do in these these circumstances and in these routines and in these in in, in these sprints and journeys and marathons right you have a choice about how you're going to perform there if you do not perform at these levels that are are greater than expected then 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 you do not perform at greater levels, there's a whole section, unfortunately, that got cut out <laughs> about the world, the, the the busyness and hustle culture, and the effects of what that has on us. And the but what is in the book is the profound impact of creativity, even with a little c creativity. How much you stand out as an individual because it plays out in everything you do, whether it's spreadsheets or accounting or whether it's uh, speaking and writing books, 
it is the part of you that no one else can be and that no one else can do. And even in those minor expressions, just the art of practicing any kind of creativity is is ex- exponentially greater than not than than pretending that you are more important or busier than you really are and allowing that to consume and define what it is that you do and what it is that you create. So I implore people, the word purpose is really about connecting to the reason you're doing something and getting back to the reality that, hey, at one point in life, we colored <laughs> coloring books. We painted and got paint all over ourselves. We Look, mommy. We, <laughs> exactly. Those were those those just the acts of that type of creativity are profoundly beneficial to all of us. And so this was me also getting back to that creativity and that everyone everyone needs to add that creativity back into the purpose because the, the the acts of that expression come out in ways that are so differentiating at a at a at a professional level and a personal level that it it does prevent and thwart mediocrity. So allow the emotion to come out, not just be rational about everything. Well, and also the, the, the individuality and the personality and the expression, unapologetically, to be you. It's so hard for so many who we're, we're formatting them, we, we standardize everybody, you know, so you take standardized tests and, and, and you're told by, for fear, well, you better get an education, otherwise, you know, you're not going to stack up. And, and yet this notion of creativity poorly taught in schools and the idea of getting messy, hardly professional to have come to a meeting with dirty fingers. Of, and I'm not suggesting everyone should, but, it, you know, it's sort of we're in this constant, you know, professional perfection performance zone. And yet the, the messy, gooey, emotional, ha-ha, surprising you know, it's it's a harder place to be, and it takes a little bit of self confidence and sometimes age to get there. But I, I guess you're imploring everybody to do it earlier. Yeah, and intentionally. Uh, hence the word uh, purpose appearing so many times in the book. <laughs> and North Star, Brian Solis, <laughs> great to have you on this show again, as ever. A wonderful pleasure, and probably could have gone on for a couple more hours. Tell us uh, how to reach you, follow you, and of course, get this book or any of your other eight. Well, it's always a pleasure. Next time it'll have to be done with champagne in hand. And I'm Brian Solis pretty much across the board. BrianSolis.com on online, but also LifeScale is is hopefully everywhere that you buy books. Uh, The website for that is LifeScaling.me. Super. See you soon, Brian. See you soon, my friend. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Joss Sachs's finger paint. Oh, Phil.
much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.